Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast, The Dominique Foxworth Show, where every Tuesday and Thursday, Dominique brings you his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting. So check out The Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the right time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about something big that's going on in the world. Also, we have got your stories about getting embarrassed by your parents. But first... Hey, man, I got to admit that uh, once they started, like, pushing these seasons super late and the Super Bowl went into February, I ain't really like that very much, man. Like, I, I don't need football season to go off forever. I was cool with everything being finished at the end of January. So then I got time to really get up to speed on this basketball by the All-Star break, and I can lean all the way into that, right? I'd probably be leaning all the way into basketball more, but I know where I work. You know what I'm saying? I know who pay these bills around these parts. <laughs> it's the shield, dog. So, you know, I'd be up on that trying to help y'all a lot. But the Super Bowl does go into February. And it's a good thing. Because we got black history. We got black history. It's two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. When Brock Purdy got hurt, it was going to be a black quarterback in the Super Bowl no matter what. Like, I wasn't rooting for the dude to be hurt, but they were like, yo, Josh Johnson's coming off the bench. I'm like, all right, cool. Half of this is down. We already there. Like, maybe there was a chance Brock Purdy was going to come back around with his one arm. I ain't got no idea. But uh, we got Jalen Hurts, and we got that boy Patrick LeVon Mahomes. Now, first, I want to talk about the Eagles, because this Eagles thing is tricky for me. I don't really have any idea what to make of them as it relates to being, like, a Super Bowl contender. All right? They got that game against the Giants. Come on, man. You know I know they bums. Right? Like the Giants, I mean, it was a, it was a heartwarming tale um, in many ways. Brian Debo looks like this dude, Mike Gentile, that I used to work for. So, you know, I kind of get a chuckle whenever I see him. I know he was feeling good about Daniel Jones. He just got himself zillions of dollars. All of that stuff. I like that boy Thibodeau. You know, all of that. But come on, man. We knew what time it was with them. From the very beginning, we knew what time it was with them. So the Eagles blowing their doors off, I don't feel like that told us anything. Like, I think that any of the teams that were left in the playoffs at that point would have done the same thing to the Giants, okay? Then they come out here and they play against San Francisco, and I do think that there's kind of a question to be asked, not so much short-term, but a bit longer. It feels like the 49ers always got a bunch of people hurt. Now, this game was not really one of those, unless you want to make the fair criticism of uh, Kyle Shanahan that I'm going to have the number two tight end single block against Hassan Reddick. Maybe that wasn't the way you should have done it, right? But this is just one of those things that happens, right? Dudes get hurt. Brock Purdy goes out. That means they down to number four. That means they are down to Josh Johnson. And as I said on Twitter during the game, Warren Moon won five great cups so that Josh Johnson could call himself a 15-year NFL veteran. Now, we are stretching the use of certain terms, like 
15-year and veteran. You go in to Josh Johnson's wiki page, that dude was getting in there getting jobs for like a month. And I don't even mean a month where people be playing. I just mean a month. Like he worked there in May. Like he just jump in because they need an arm for a little bit, get out. I don't know if this counts towards your pension. I don't know what his long-term situation is, but there is no one who has ever been in the NFL for 15 years that you have seen play less than Josh Johnson. Not a single person, but that is progress right there. I don't know what it is that he does, right? I don't know. He must be the coolest cat in the world. It's a fascinating story. He was the quarterback at the University of San Diego. His head coach was Jim Harbaugh. This was the first of them college quarterbacks that Jim Harbaugh had worked some form of magic with. Like people are like, oh, we coach Andrew Luck. Well, damn, I could have done that. But he did coach Josh Johnson. They did work over there in one double A. And then he got in. The other thing people don't know about Josh Johnson, he is Marshawn Lynch's cousin. And he has some kind of role in the Marshawn Lynch business operation. I know this because you read articles about Marshawn Lynch and his business. And they'd be like, yo, Josh Johnson was around. Why? Because while Josh Johnson is a 15-year NFL veteran, he'd just be stopping in right fast. And then he'd come back to his real job. Like, Josh Johnson gets all with a team, but he don't quit the day job. He simply takes a leave of absence. Or perhaps in some cases, just lies. Like, hey, 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 my grandma died. I'm going to need a couple weeks. And then come back. Or it'd be like, hey, my grandma died. I'm going to need a couple weeks. And then a couple weeks pass. And he's like, hey, man, my grandma's still dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We waiting. I'll let you know something changed. But once it do, I'll be back. You know, just stretching it out as far as he can. Like, my homeboy was like, he'd be the dude in the barbershop talking about, yeah, I got to stay in shape. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to stay in shape. But the thing is, them cats know he'd be getting the calls. They know he got to stay in shape. They be like, no, no, man, don't pass that blood to Josh. Josh got to stay in peak physical condition just to get in there. Like, I don't really, like, how teams decide when they get to that point where they're going to get the number four quarterback, I have no idea how they decide who that dude is that they're going to bring in because it doesn't matter. Like, you may stumble into, like, a Brock Purdy situation at number three, but you go around just looking at the backups. When it's time to, we just need a dude, who, who are they doing the favor for when they decide to call somebody in? Who the white man behind Josh Johnson that they like, yo, okay, anything, any, anything for you, sir? Like, who is the person that gets that dude in there? But they got him out there, and I ain't going to lie. I thought they might have had a chance. And I understand, man, people looking at it crazy. Why would you think they might have a chance? Because they went 10-0 with Brock Purdy. That's why I thought they had a chance. Like, I didn't think it was like, oh, Josh Johnson going to come in. They won't miss a beat. But it was possible. They had the, the last pick in the draft jumped in there, and they didn't miss a beat. Yeah, I thought it was possible. So shout out to you, Brock Purdy. You are not some dude off the street. Because I just saw a dude off the street, and it did not look the same as you. Brock Purdy get to, like, preserve where he stands in the game forever after that went down. Like, it's not the exact same. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying Brock Purdy is the same as the guy I'm about to talk about. But you'll understand my point here. Tim Tebow had that game. Parker, stop doing that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I promise you, I promise you, I'm not saying they the same, okay? Here's what I'm saying. Tim Tebow had that game. Y'all remember that against the Steelers? 
in the playoffs, right? And then, of course, he stunk the next week, but nobody talks about that. He had that game against the Steelers and then was never a starter again. He permanently existed in that space as the guy in that game, right? There was never really a true crashing down for him from that season of Tebow mania. Maybe my least favorite time to come to work ever, okay? But it never came up again. The way the Eagles were looking in that game and the way they came at Brock Purdy, I realized we didn't get a very large sample size, but it was possible that they was going to be lighting his ass on fire all day long. It is possible that he was going to look like Troy Smith in that bowl game after he won the Heisman, right? Like like Vinny Testaverde in the 87 Fiesta Bowl. Like it might have been one of those things where you can only go to college to make the point, but that didn't happen. He took that one shot. He went to the sideline. He tried to make it happen. I don't care what Brock Purdy did for all them games in that season. Trey Lance, I'm figuring, is going to be the starter for that team next year because not a single one of you thinks that Brock Purdy is more talented than Trey Lance. And you saw Trey Lance play for one game, and I just don't understand how it is that you see Brock Purdy and you don't say to yourself, well, damn, if he can do that, imagine what Trey Lance is going to do in this offense. I, I just don't get, I do know how your mind gets that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. Anyway, um, Brock Purdy may never, it may never happen again, man. He may be frozen that time, at least until he get his money. Somebody going to give him his money. But that game was a wrap right then and there. Like the Eagles look incredibly dominant um, in many ways, I do have to say. I just don't know what to make of it because they played against a team that didn't have a quarterback. You see what Parker, where they had Christian McCaffrey throw that one pass? Definitely not necessary at <laughs> that point. It was, it was over. It was over by then. Yo, bro, I really think if I'm Christian McCaffrey by the time they made that decision, I'm like, dog, I ain't running that. I'm calling an audible. I don't even know if I'm actually the quarterback here, but I'm getting to the line and I'm like, whoa, 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 kill, 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 kill. We ain't doing this nonsense. He had that one run though, man. Like, I really wish this was a running back era because he is a monster. Like that play where he scored that touchdown, he made that move on that cat, put his shoulder in that other one and just kept on going. I was like, oh, the game ain't over, baby. The game, oh, but it was over. It was, it was a wrap. But Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. All my Jalen Hurts questions still exist, kind of, by the way. Right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know how the arm is or any of that stuff. I don't think he's looked great. I think he's looked like a quarterback who's run the offense. And that's fine. Like, I don't think that's an insult necessarily. But if it gets to something where, like, yo, you need Jalen Hurts to be the one to go make it happen. Ugh, I don't know about that, right? Like, I don't know. I don't think that he's been as good as he was in the regular season. And can the Eagles win the Super Bowl without him being as good as he was in the regular season going against Jordan? Right? Would you guys like to talk about Jordan now? Because I would like to talk about Jordan now. Okay. I think that we would all agree. I don't think there's very much question around this. Patrick Mahomes outplayed Joe Burrow on Sunday. We would all fairly say that. Great game, came down to the end. Patrick Mahomes beat Joe Burrow. I mean, played better than Joe Burrow on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes played better than Joe Burrow in the AFC Championship game last year, too, right? It just didn't go well at the end, and I understand how it is that you might wait what happens on the back end. Uh, I was talking to Mina Kimes the other day about this. I want to find the numbers that uh, that she pulled up for me. They were they were pretty impressive about like just what Jordan be out here doing. Okay, 
Patrick Mahomes stats from inside the pocket this year. First in QBR, first in 20-yard plus plays, first in EPA per drop back. EPA is a good stat. You can kind of trust on that one. Um, I have lost the other stat. I get. I think it must have been Nick who sent me those other stats because you could imagine Nick has all the stats about this. Dude, they're just in different classes. They are not the same guy, and that is not an insult at all to Joe Burrow. That dude was out there on one leg making it happen. And look, it was obvious that he was on one leg, right? Like, it wasn't like he was out there balling on one leg and it didn't look like he was on one leg. No, 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 no. It looked like he was on one leg throwing to a bunch of dudes that you didn't know before this year. Or, like, uh, Val Valdez Scantlin, any one of the dudes that Aaron Rodgers was complaining about? Well, not this year, but you know what I'm saying? One of those guys, we'd be like, they don't give Aaron Rodgers no weapons. Then they gave him to Patrick Mahomes. Um, the fight doctor, um, Ferdy Pacheco, or is it Isaiah Pacheco? Only Pacheco I knew of is Ferdy. You know what I'm saying? If he's some kind of kin to Ferdy Pacheco, that would be amazing, right? Like, if he's the son that Ferdy Pacheco, rest in peace, didn't want us to know about. Who knows? It's entirely possible. Parker, you're very young, so you have no idea who Ferdy Pacheco is. Uh, that makes me feel a little bit weird, but he wanted them Ali people. He was in, he was in the Muhammad Ali circle. There we go. So we got him. Um, just look at it. And they went out there and got it done. Now, the thing I have to say about the Bengals is that defensive coordinator is a beast. Like, uh, before I got in here, I heard Rex Ryan was on TV saying that he didn't like the game plan that the dude called. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe he was talking about, like, a particular part of the game or whatever. But them dudes was holding them to three. Like, that was the thing about it. I don't know what you can do against the Chiefs from 20 to 20. But they were holding them to three. And I think that's about all you could ask for under them circumstances like Cincinnati did what they could and Burrow while he didn't play as well as Mahomes this is the thing that you got to give Burrow and this is the thing about him at LSU and we're seeing it again in Cincinnati I don't know what it would look like if Joe Burrow wasn't throwing to great receivers because the only times I've ever seen him play in college and in the NFL he was throwing to great receivers I mean, again, when you think about it, at LSU, he was throwing to Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, Clyde Edwards Lair in the backfield, and Randy Moss's boy was like the second tight end, I think. Okay, like that that's what he was doing when he was at LSU. He's gotten to Cincinnati, got Jamar Chase, got T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd is your number three receiver, and they got one of them H tight ends. I can't remember which one it is. It's there's Hayden Hurst and they Hunter Henry. I can't ever remember which one of them is which, which plays for which team. They are like remarkably similar in a box checking sort of way, but I can never remember which one is which on each team, right? They both tight ends from the SEC with two last names as they names like last name, last name. They got, you know, they got the whole setup. I don't, and I think one of them went like to Arkansas. One of them went to South Carolina, something like that. And those are basically the same school, just in different places. I just just never got around to differentiating them two guys. Either way, not a bad dude for you to have to throw the ball. Uh, Joe Mixon coming out of the backfield. My point simply is, Joe Burrows had weapons. That's not to shade him. What I'm pointing out about him, though, and which is important, right? If you were to give, say, Kirk Cousins the same players that Joe Burrow has to throw it to, it wouldn't look anything like it does with Joe Burrow. And the reason is, Jamar Chase is double covered 
Kirk Cousins is not throwing the back shoulder fade to him. Kirk Cousins is not just like, yo, you go ahead and get that. He doesn't operate in that space of confidence. Joe Burrow does. So he can drop back there, and yeah, Jamar Chase is back there, and you can make the argument if you wanted to, well, he's just throwing it up there, and Chase is doing the work. Yeah, but not everybody would throw it up there. Not everybody would give it a chance. Like, I was talking about that play in the Super Bowl where Jordan was laying sideways and threw the ball 30 yards and hit the dude in the face mask, and people were making the point, but it went through Devin White's hands. Two things. One, not true. It went over Devin White's hands, if you go look at it, which is incredible. But number two, it was fourth and nine. Even if it did go through his hands, on fourth and nine, you just got to put it up, right? Getting sacked or getting picked, picked is actually kind of better. But you just got to put it up there, and not everybody's got it in them to just put it up there and be like, boom, we're going to see what happens. Joe Burrow put it up there, and that's what he was doing to keep them in that in the end. Like, the Chiefs defense, I don't know what more they could have actually done. But Jamar Chase is Jamar Chase. T. T Higgins is T. Higgins. Like, those guys are those guys. And they made that happen. And the thing to love about Burrow is, all right, man, it ain't got to be all about me. Sometimes y'all going to be the ones to do it. And they were going up there, and they were getting it done. Mahomes ain't really operating uh, with no such luxury right now with the team that he's got. Like, it's good to have Travis Kelsey. But again, these people out here talking about Travis Kelsey, the greatest tight end of all time. If you want to put Travis Kelsey in the, in the Hall of Fame, okay. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I said on Twitter one day that it wasn't like, I think he should get in, but I'm not going to guarantee it. And people got mad at me. And I'm like, dog, I don't get to decide who goes to the Hall of Fame. I'm talking about how difficult it is to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But if you want to call him a Hall of Famer, I really don't have any qualm or gripe with that. When you try to call him the greatest tight end of all time, I'm like, dude, Gronk be on, ha- be on TV at halftime. He's right there. Like this is, there aren't a lot of no-brainers in the NFL, okay? These are the no-brainers on greatest of all time at insert position here, where there's just no way around it. There really aren't that many. Jim Brown at running back. Jerry Rice at wide receiver. Gronk at tight end. That's it. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anywhere else that you can go and just be so sure about it. And I would even say with Gronk, I think the space between Gronk and the number two tight end, whoever you so choose, is actually bigger than the gap between Jerry Rice and, say, Randy Moss. Or bigger than the gap between Jim Brown and whoever you want to make your number two running back. I think the gap is bigger. That guy, as good as he is as a tight end, you're not supposed to win a Super Bowl with him as your number one receiving option. You're not supposed to have an offense like they have with him as your number one receiving option. What they got is Patrick Mahomes. And they're going to have two weeks to do all kinds of voodoo and everything else on that ankle to get him right. And man, this this going to be a Super Bowl. Like, I am looking forward to this. You're going to hear everything you want to hear about Andy Reid and the Eagles and all of this. And yeah, that's cool, but I'm just going to remind you one more time. It is Black History Month in February. We got, we've never had two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. When you really think about this, top of my head, and if I get one wrong, I get one wrong. I'm doing this for you right now. Black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl at all. I only think it's five. Doug Williams, Steve McNair, Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, Patrick Mahomes. 
Oh, a Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Got him in there at six. If I'm missing one, you let me know. But Jalen Hurts now comes into this. And shout out to you, Jalen Hurts. And I may talk about this a little later. But the thing that makes it so incredible about Jalen Hurts is Jalen Hurts is not incredible. All those other guys that I listed truly had something incredible and undeniable about them. Like Doug Williams had an incredible arm. Uh, Steve McNair, a little different, but if you were around at the time, he was a bit futuristic for his day. Um, Russell Wilson, I think, is maybe a little more in the Jalen Hurts category, but not quite the same. You'll get where I'm going once I say this. Kaepernick, and if you don't remember what it looked like when Kaepernick first got out there, I mean, he looked like he was going to be the future too. Cam Newton might be the most physically talented quarterback that has ever lived, and Patrick Mahomes is Jordan. But the thing is, and even Russell Wilson, I don't think fits this with Hurts. I don't think Hurts has anything that we would say that he does excellently. And your black ass normally better be excellent at something if they're going to make you the quarterback or not just make you the quarterback, do it the way the Eagles have done it, where there were reasons to have questions about Hurts coming into now his third year, and they did not make the jump to go get somebody else. I would have, just to be clear. I was like, yeah, I don't know about this one, right? Like, I think the ceiling's kind of low on what you can do with him or whatever it is. No, he got to be pretty good and figure it out. And they empowered him as the dude to lead the team. And that is something that that's where black quarterbacks don't typically get to traffic. There better be something incredible about you. You better have done something that nobody could ever forget. The Eagles made the more patient play with Jalen Hurts. And they're going to the Super Bowl with him. And that's his team, right? And I'm actually, for his sake, glad that he getting to go out here against Jordan. Because otherwise, they'd have been... My daddy always talks about this. That Super Bowl that Doug Williams was in. And John Elway won the MVP that year, just to be clear. Strike season, but he won the MVP. And it was just all about the advantage that the Broncos had at quarterback and how Washington just didn't have a quarterback. Da-da-da-da-da. All that, all that, all that, all that, all that. And then Doug Williams had the second quarter from the ancestors. And boom, there it was. Jalen Hurts was going to be living with that if they were out there against Joe Burrow. Instead... They just going to talk about Andy Reid. Me? Psh, I might wear a dashiki on Sunday. Well, a week from Sunday. You know, this week we rest. Um, I figured I should say something about what uh, was going on in Memphis and the release of the video that came out. But... I must admit, it's a little tricky because I haven't watched that video. And it will continue to be tricky because I will not watch that video. Now, something I do find to be interesting, though, about the story, and I guess this is to a degree a post-George Floyd sort of situation. When they know these videos about to come out, it is all hands on deck at your local media company. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. 
Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. I saw my man David Dennis on the middle of the night sports center talking about that video when it came out. Interesting, right? Like, we don't really have, like, the sports tie really hadn't come yet. And I saw a headline on ESPN.com about the players on the Grizzlies speaking out about the video and all these things that happened with that. First of all, I understand the need for preparedness, right? Stay ready, greater than, get ready. But when is the last time the police beat one of us severely or to death or shot one of us and we immediately took it to the street? upon the release of the video and i don't mean take it to the street to protest i mean take it to the street to break when when is that when has that been the case when's the last time because here's the thing that isn't what happened with rodney king you have to remember what happened with rodney king that led to riots was the acquittal It wasn't the actual act of violence. Every time one of these things happen, the man get out there with their tanks and everybody boards up their little situation and then it goes from there. And yeah, maybe that's what it was, right? You thought the people's going to get out here and protest. I, I I don't know what it is. But I do find it interesting that there is a collective understanding that something like like that happens, we might tear this mother down. And you understand why we might tear this mother down. But nobody really feels compelled to like actually do something. Because you got to remember, man, I've been talking about police violence in the public space now. I would say for 11 years, right? Trayvon Martin is February of 2012 is when that gets going. Been doing this for 11 years. I realized very quickly we are having the same conversation every single time. And so I stopped watching the videos. I stopped really engaging in the conversation. And the reason was, at least we're watching the videos, those videos didn't matter anymore. Like the particular details didn't matter. I was not out here trying to litigate and adjudicate every single incident because the problem was macro and you were getting yourself into a trick bag when you were getting so caught up in every single trial or every, you know, all of those that go down. It didn't make any sense to me. I know what the big problem is. And it had just become so abundantly clear that because of the way the laws were set up, 
And the cops were going to get off because it was designed for them to get off, no matter what it was. Now, this Memphis thing might be a little different because them cops are black and them jurors will be black. If I had to guess, someone is going to jail. Kind of like uh, when that Somali cop up there in Minnesota shot that white lady who walked up on the side of his, oh, no, 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 all that, all of a sudden, I fear for my life didn't matter no more. Hey, he sent his black ass to jail. All right? Like, if I had to guess, these people are going to jail. That is going to happen. But then what? Right? Um... LeBron James, and I know that a lot of you think that I don't like LeBron James, and that's really not the case. I will admit, he can get on my nerves, and he's been getting on my nerves recently. And the space in which he gets on my nerves are the non-basketball spaces, when he tries to, you know, take his I'm the leader guy thing and all of this and everything else, right? Even though he is very judicious, and he's like, well, if I see something, I'm going to say something sometimes. And that's okay that you do it sometimes. Just don't pretend like it's anything else. That dude jumped on the internet and was like, we are our, we are our own worst enemy. Presumably about the thing that happened in Memphis. That, that's, 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 that's what you took from this. That's, that's, that's what you got from this is we, we are our own worst enemy. No, 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 no. Our worst enemy is racism. Okay. In this country, I don't think there's any way around that. I mean, fairly inscrutable truth, right? Our worst enemy is racism. And even though the cops are black, racism speaks to how we wound up in this situation, how racism continues to be our worst enemy. And the reason is very simple. Cops don't treat black people like this because they're white when they're white. They treat black people like this because they can. Black cops are not different in that regard. I mean, KRS-One did a whole song about it. Okay? And it's because people know that they can get away with treating black people like this. Um, This is in line, logically, very similarly to what I have said Um when these players go hard at like a Russell Wilson, you know, like they did with a Donovan McNabb, you can't get away with talking about no white quarterback in the ways that they talk about these dudes. They know who they can do this to. And so you intoxicate people with the power that comes from being a cop. Give them a stick, give them a gun, give them a badge, right? And they get to do this. And it's like the thing happens where the first time they do it, it's just about, did it feel good to you? Right? Did it make you feel like a man or whatever, you know, to be able to do that sort of thing? Did it feel good to you? Because if it felt good to them, then they're going to keep doing it. And they're going to be able to do this. All of that is simply because they can, and they can because the people that they police are black. Right? That's institutional. That's so much bigger than we are our own worst enemy or anything along those lines. Like, yeah, it is disheartening for me to see other black people treat this black person like this in service of an institution 
that's done what it's done to us. Now, that should speak to you about just kind of how toxic, generally speaking, the institution is, right? Like, I spent a lot of time living in Atlanta, man. That's a whole lot of black cops that black people hate. You know, like the problems are there. The problems are clear. The problems are directly in front of us. But we ain't going to get nowhere with the we're our own worst enemy and da-da-da and everything else. There just has to be a serious understanding and addressing of the fact that police operate as a proxy of whiteness. Even when the even when black people are the cops. Police exist as a proxy of blackness. You think about it, anytime something goes down with something happening with the police, they'll be like, there's the police perspective and the black perspective. You I mean, you just think about how these conversations are always positioned. It'll be a police officer and a black person, right? The police officers are operating as a proxy for whiteness. That's in Memphis, that's in Atlanta, that's in any of these other places that you think about. They exist as a proxy for for whiteness and this is about the relationship that whiteness has with black people the relationship that whiteness has with poor black people right you know this as an extension of where we're going that's what is always going to be the case and always going to be the discussion and someday what people are going to have to look up and say and realize is the reason police forces exist the way they do is because a significant portion of the population likes the fact that they exist the way that they do if white people in charge didn't like the way the cops were behaving, they'd stop the cops from behaving like this. But people like this idea. It makes them feel safe that you might jack up some black dude at any given point in time. Maybe like, hey, that black dude might have been willing to drive 25 miles to this suburb that I fled to and robbed me. You know, like that's 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 what they think. That's what this is. And so no matter who the perpetrators of the violence are, the issue in this case is who is the recipient. As is always the case, the issue is who is the recipient. Our worst enemy is racism. And our second worst enemy is people who don't understand that. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. This first story is about surveillance. This is Trone Dowd, reporter with Vice News. People leaving Drake's sold-out concert at the Apollo Theater Saturday night were outraged after seeing an NYPD community affairs officer recording them with a smartphone. Footage of the surveillance taken at the historic Black venue soon went viral with more than 26 million views as of Thursday night. In an email to Vice News, the NYPD's Public Information Office said that the recording was for social media purposes only and would be featured in a video highlighting successes in the community. But while the police department tried to temper people's concerns, New Yorkers, social media users, and anti-surveillance advocates are calling it yet another breach of trust between the police and minority communities. As Albert Fox Kahn, the executive director for the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, told us, not a single person at the concert consented to being part of the NYPD's PR strategy. So even in the best case, this was problematic. See, there's a precedent for the skepticism regarding surveillance in the NYPD. In 2020, the NYPD secretly used facial recognition tech to track Black Lives Matter protesters after the police murder of George Floyd. In 2021, the department even misled the public about their cozy relationship with facial recognition tech company Clearwater AI, initially saying that they only trialed the tech, when in reality, they'd been in talks with the company and using their tools for two years. It's also worth mentioning the NYPD's history of targeting and investigating Black people and communities of color, especially within hip-hop. After all, this is the same police department with an entire investigative team dedicated to hip-hop-related crime. As expected, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, a former cop himself, downplayed these concerns. 
He defended the department and suggested that the most vocal police critics only exist on social media. It's a Drake concert! Like, I would get it if it was like Public Enemy in 88. They out here fighting the power and shit, right? I would get it if it was like N.W.A. or like some gangster rappers. It's Drake! What are you learning about somebody? Because they went to a Drake concert. That's what's so what's so wild to me about anytime I see this stuff about like the hip hop surveillance and everything else. Okay, obviously a big part of that is race, no question. But do not forget, Jericho Hoover was trailing the rock and roll white boys too, right? The John Lennons and everybody else of the world. The FBI was all over them because the idea is like, yo, this music was new, it was a thing, it could be used to foment a revolution, da da da, all this stuff. Okay, cool. But they stopped that. It wasn't even that long after they stopped it. But they stopped doing that because it wasn't even new no more. Like, you, 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 you think the feds were snooping around behind Guns N' Roses? I don't, right? It wasn't that kind of time anymore that it passed. It's 2023. Like, we're, we're way past the point of hip-hop as revolutionary in that way, right? It's the status quo. At this point. And you got to have surveillance. At a Drake show. At the Apollo in today's Harlem. What are you talking about? Like what is this? But that, that would. It just. What are you. Who are you looking for? Who, who the gangster. That you going to find. What you going to do. Find that gangster. Take a picture of him at a Drake concert. And then put flyers up around the neighborhood being like, hey, y'all, he listened to Drake to ruin his street credibility. Unfortunately, that doesn't work anymore either. Uh, This next one's coming in from business. This is Rosalie Chan, a senior tech editor at Insider. Earlier this week, my colleagues Hugh Langley, Thomas Maxwell, and I reported on a tense all-hands meeting at Google this Monday. Last Friday, January 20th, Google started conducting mass layoffs of 12,000 employees. Employees still at Google had many questions, which they brought up at an all-hands meeting on Monday. Here are some of the biggest takeaways. One employee asked, what does taking full responsibility entail? Responsibility without consequence seems like an empty platitude. Is leadership foregoing bonuses and pay raises this year? Will anyone be stepping down? Google CEO Sundar Pichai responded that executives will indeed be taking a pay cut as they will have a very significant reduction in their annual bonus. What's more, their compensation is tied directly to company performance, and growth has been slowing. Googlers also asked why managers weren't informed before these layoffs were announced. Pichai responded that the company wanted to communicate about the layoffs as soon as possible and give people as much certainty as possible. One employee asked what influence the activist hedge fund TCI Fund Management had on the decision to conduct layoffs. Last fall, TCI called on Google to pare back its headcount. Google's chief financial officer, Ruth Porat, said that while the company speaks with investors regularly, no investor drives its decisions. Ultimately, we have more information about what we're doing and our priorities, Porat said on the call. We make decisions that are in the best interest, we believe, for the company over the long term. Finally, Googlers asked how they can feel safe after these mass layoffs, expressing concerns they could be laid off in the future despite positive performance reviews or strong business performance. How can we establish psychological safety for Googlers after these layoffs? One employee asked. 
Another said, the layoffs seem random. I am pro Google, but I'm pretty shook right now. Help me understand. Google's chief business officer, Philip Schindler, responded, if you interpret psychological safety as removing all uncertainty, we can't do this. But what we can do is despite clearly prioritizing across our businesses, we try to focus and we try to minimize disruption, obviously, as much as possible. Yeah, I do have to say this. That person like, I feel like I can get laid off at any time. I don't know how to break this to you, but you can. This is kind of how the game works, right? Like, and the way Google handled all of this seemed to be very cold. And I mean, all of that being the case. But the idea that these layoffs seem to be random and I couldn't tell if I was safe, you're never going to feel safe when a layoff comes around. Like if you had heard that layoffs are coming around, it didn't matter how good you were at your job or anything else. You were going to be in there shook wondering if it could be you because that's just how things go. Like you would have done some deductive reasoning to figure out if that was your space, you know, or how this goes or whatever it is. But in the end, one day they're going to walk in and tell you to walk out. Like, I think that's something that everybody needs to get some sort of hold on. And importantly, you need to treat your money that way. One day you're going to walk in and they're going to tell you to walk out, right? Maybe you get out in front of it. Who's to say? But they're going to tell you to walk in and you are then going to have to walk out. It don't matter if it's Google, if it's Facebook, how big any of these companies are or whatever it is. In the end, their dedication is to the share price, period. And if somebody says this is what we got to do to take their share price up, that is what they're going to do because the share price is the only thing that every shareholder can agree on. That's what it's going to be. Like I heard that when he was like, you know, I'm pretty shook right now. I was like, oh, that sounds like a 24-year-old. Yep, <laughs> this is grown-up life, kid. I'm not trying to be cold about it. I'm saying this is somebody that's been fired a lot, a lot. Not even necessarily laid off. Sometimes just fired. And I was good at my job. That's just how it goes. All right. And this last story is coming from uh, Two Best Things in the World. I'm Samantha Cole, a senior editor at Motherboard, Vice's tech outlet. Scientists have been trying to figure out the effects of weed on our sex lives for decades. But since cannabis is federally illegal, it's a tough topic to research. And findings have shown mixed results. But a new survey of more than 100 cannabis users found that most people who use weed regularly report that it makes them hornier, makes their orgasms last longer, and for women, makes it easier to have multiple orgasms. 70% of the people in that study reported increased desire and intensity, and many said they intentionally use cannabis before they masturbate because the high makes it more pleasurable. But the researchers are cautiously optimistic about these results. It could also all be in the participants' heads. If you're expecting to be better in bed, smoking before sex could just be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I was wondering how much of that is a placebo situation, and this is why. They were saying that that was of people who uh, smoke weed daily, I believe is what I saw in a blurb about that one. And let me explain something to you about people who smoke weed daily. You know why they smoke weed daily? Because they swear it makes everything better. There is nothing that you could not have put in front of them on that survey and ask them, is this made better when you're high? And their answer, not be yes. No matter what it was, if somebody's smoking weed every day, it's because they think weed makes everything better. Just just let you know what that is. I'm not trying to interfere with their science. 
or anything else. I know that like all the CBD companies and everything, they trying to sell their various sex stuff, riding out on the idea. I don't know if the stuff work like they say or not, but that's what they going with. And you know why? Because why not? People go give it a try and they'll placebo themselves into it. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I just think they ask the wrong people. They need to ask people who smoke weed every now and then if weed makes the sex better. But the problem is, once those people, if they were, found out that the weed made the sex better, you know what they would start doing? Smoking weed every day. At which point, they would say, it makes everything better. It's, it's a labyrinth. A labyrinth. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. The voicemail topic for this week is the time that you've been most embarrassed by your parents. Yeah, Parker, your parents are the embarrassing types. Because mine are. My parents would never, like, embarrass me. I don't have a single time I can think of, like, wow, my parents embarrass me. Uh, my parents were embarrassing, but it's only because they were so much older than me. So my dad was 50 when I was born. Oh, so we, we had the same. We had similar boats. Okay. Yeah. So like growing up in like the er, like early mid two thousands and two thousand tens, and like I'm twenty four, my dad's seventy five now. So there's just a big generation gap. Mm-hmm. So that part was embarrassing, but I don't think they ever intentionally uh, were trying to embarrass me. Gotcha, gotcha. Now my dad forty three when I was born. Okay, I I I, mm-hmm. I I know the vibes. I know the vibes. All yeah. right, man. Yeah. Who we got first? Uh, first one didn't leave a name, but it's about their mother. <laughs> I got so many stories about my mom embarrassing me, especially when it comes to sports. Raised by a single mom, she played Division One basketball. So growing up, she always knew more than all my coaches, basically. And she never stopped talking in the stands. So I was in ninth grade, JV basketball, not too serious. Go down the middle, get hammered. My nose will not stop bleeding. Go to the locker room, will not stop bleeding. Other, the rest of the team comes in, halftime, still bleeding. Coach says, you good? And obviously I'm young, but it's hurting. So he's like, you can take the rest of the night off. And my mom comes in the locker room in front of all my friends, looks at me, puts some gauze in my nose, says, you're good. You're good. Looks at the coach, says, he's good. Man, I was so embarrassed. Talking to the coach. You're going to come up out of that 2-3 zone? How many threes do they got to hit before you come out of it? How many threes? <laughs> you have two and a half hours with these boys every night. What do you guys be doing? Oh, man, it was crazy. Yo, I love that your mom agrees that zone is for cowards. Your mom, your mom went down on basically telling them, you got to act like a man. Which it sounds like is the exact same thing she told you in the face of hemophilia. Yeah, your mom, your mom, your mom's gangsta wild with it. Oh, okay. I see you. I see you. But I mean, I kind of appreciate her get down. This next one's from Steven Santa Cruz. So my sister's in sixth grade and there's these two boys who've taken like, you know, a liking to her. And so sixth grade boys, I mean, sixth grade boys are doing the classic doorbell ditch every single day after school, ring the doorbell and run, ring the doorbell and run. Well, one day my dad came home from work and he, taking off his coveralls and I was in the kitchen putting on the water for his coffee and the doorbell rang and I just heard my dad just yell out, carajo, no mas. And I was like, what? And then suddenly the front door slammed open. I ran over and looked in the window 
And these two young boys just went, oh, and I looked at my dad chasing him down the street, wearing his underwear, his shoes were untied, and laces just flapping in the wind. He caught up to him at the corner, grabbed him each by the arm, walked him back to the house, called my sister downstairs, directed them to sit on the couch, and then said, you wanted to talk to my daughter so bad? Talk to her now. And my sister was sitting there, just tears streaming down her face, and these two boys were terrified. So my dad had them call home. Their parents picked them up, and they went away. And my sister, just crying, crying, went back to her room. And from that day on, she swore that she never had a date all the way through middle school or high school was because those two guys followed her to junior high school and to high school, and they spread the legend of our crazy dad and how they chased her down the street. Okay. First of all, you said that man came home from work and just took off his coveralls, which tells me that man worked too hard for this nonsense that these little boys was out here perpetrating. That's number one. Number two, shout out to him for having the speed to catch up with them dudes. Number three, them boys knew they was wrong. And like your, your dad don't sound crazy to me. Your dad sound like a man of principle, though I guess he was running down the street uh, in his draws. So yeah, I, okay, I kind of like halfway see the craziness about that. Um, five, I think the boys learned a lesson, right? Either holler or don't. But we ain't going to be playing no games. I think there's that. Now, six, Parker, what did he call it? Uh, did he call it ditch door? Door ditch? Is that what he said? It was, what he called it? Uh, ding dong ditch. Ding dong ditch. We called it something different around my way. Um, it also employed alliteration, but with a different uh, set of terms. Uh, are you familiar with the phrase I'm thinking of here? I'm not sure I am. I'll tell you about it after the show. Right. Actually, it's just me and you here. Play the music. Thank you for your patience. A representative from the right time will be with you shortly. Your current hold time is 15 seconds. Yeah, Parker, I thought you knew that phrase. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say your daddy, old old people said it too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, man, do we have another one? All right, uh, last one is T from New Jersey. Man, I'm 12 years old in my hood. We wanted to have a party, so we paid my friend's crackhead aunt $20 to have a party at her house. Man, she said, yes, we told all the ladies in the neighborhood that we want to have a party. You should come. It's going to be great. Hold on. So we take all her furniture and put it outside. My boy has some speakers. He set the speakers up in her kitchen. We had nothing in the living room. And I was pretty well off because I was the only child. So I was one of the only kids in the hood that had a disc man, the big, thick ones from back in the day. We talk about 91. So I bought my disc man. We connected to his speakers. I bought my 50 CDs. And I'm talking about the classics, the Shabba Ranks, <laughs> the Jodeci's, all the slow joints from back in the day. I got it all. 
So I put my disc man on, man, and it was a girl there that I dug. We put on a Jodeci track, Forever My Lady. She wanted to dance with me, Bo. We slow danced, and I'm getting it in. Best night of my life, right? I forgot that I had to be somewhere at a certain time that night. My mom wanted me home. What does my mother do? My mom in her sweet, angelic voice knocks on the door because she heard the party was there. Ask for tea because that's my nickname. All right, everybody who knows me as that. My mom walked through that house, found me dancing. All the music stopped. She told me it was time to come home, right? So everybody's staring at me. Everybody's clowning me. I just put my head down, man. This is the girl I've been trying to get with. We slow dancing, and my mama came to pick me up from the party. To make it even worse, it was my disc, man, and my CDs. So not only did I have to leave, but my dad wasn't going to let me come on without my stuff. So I had to take my disc, man. So I basically shut down the whole party. To make it even worse, the girl I was dancing with never talked to me again. She ended up marrying me, the ugliest dude in the hood, and having six kids, all because of my mama. Can we get back to what? whose house was it, Crackhead Who? Like, this could have worked out a lot worse for you, brother. Like, when you talked about, yeah, the furniture was put outside, I was like, well, I guess it was the crackhead's own furniture because I was like, it might have wound up getting sold. But it does sound like he was on the wall. So you're having my baby, right? Like, he he was, I know exactly the book. Like, if he was really in the groove at that time, I know exactly what he was doing with his hands. I know all of it, right? And then your mama rolled up. Damn. But the truth is, man, it shouldn't have been that embarrassing. Anybody else's mama rolled up, it would have gone the exact same way. You know what I'm saying? All you, you just have to take the L completely. Like, oh, okay, mom, I'll be there in just a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just looking for you. Like, that's your spin. I was like, thank you. I've been trying to get out of here, but peer pressure. You know what I'm saying? I also feel, I feel like it was hated to take the disc man. I feel like you could have had someone, like, give it back oh, no, to no, you. No, 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 Because that disc man would never come into your house if you didn't take it out with you. No, 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 no. That was, that was about the person who actually paid for the disc man having no interest in paying for disc man number two. He ain't buy it for the hood. He bought it for you. Gotcha. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker Owens handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Trone Dow Device. Check out his story on NYPD filming crowds leaving the Drake concert at Vice.com. Thanks to Rosalie Chan, a business insider. Check out her story on Post Layoff Google. And thanks to Samantha Cole, Vice. Check out her story about smoking weed and having sex. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.